If you're a guest with us today, started a new series about three weeks ago, and the, the title of it is 34384. And that's our address at County Road 63. Week one, we talked about Jesus coming to the disciples and saying, I am going to build my church. And the context there was also the local church, because the local church is what God was beginning to use to reconcile the world to himself. Week two, we looked at John chapter 17, where he prayed for oneness three different times the night before he goes to the cross, that relationships would be so deep and so one that people on the outside would be looking into these relationships and go, I want that. I want that. And we could tell them that Christ had come and has loved this world and lives would be changed as a result of those relationships. Last week, we looked at Hebrews chapter 10. Don't give up meeting together. See, the question, how can you become one if you don't spend time together? So the exhortation to not give up meeting together, stirring each other, living in such a way that we are encouraging and there's this commonality of needing to be together because we're transformed together. This week, notice the title of your sermon, Leadership That Dances. So I was going to invite the elders to come on up and perform this little dance for us, but uh, they declined here in the first service. But, uh, you know, when you think of dancing, somewhere along the line, I, I don't know if you realize, but when I, the church that I grew up, dancing was kind of a no-no. I remember my first dance. I never did tell my dad that I'd gone to. Uh, but then I came across a verse. Look at 2 Samuel 6.13. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and blowing of ram's horns. He was so excited that he was dancing before the Lord. But this idea of a dance, I think, works with our discussion and our topic here for this morning. But let me let you into a little trivia of my life. I went to college uh, looking to become a teacher, history and social studies, but I had a desire to coach as well and needing a, a certificate back then. Um, I decided to get a minor in uh, physical education as well because that, that kind of was good enough then for the coaching part of it. And I went to that great Christian school of St. Cloud State. And, um, uh, but in that, with that minor, I had to take two dance classes. And the first class was one where you just learned all different kinds of dance. And the class favorite, actually, was square dancing. Do-si-do. So we used to do this dance. And, but one of the pieces to the class is the teacher would come in once in a while and say, huddle up, circle up, and quiz time. And, and here's what the teacher would do. If, if that circle, that, that circle did the dance, all those eight people did it right, you got an A for the day. Well, what that did is that it made you avoid certain people. Because there was these three or four in the class who would always goof up the dance and they would get the A for the day. You know, there was two, they had two left feet or for some of them, I think it's, they just didn't care, okay, about getting the A in the class. But we had a second class I had to take as well. Teaching dance. 
I was going to teach a dance here today, but I don't think that was quite appropriate. But in that, obviously, it was geared toward looking ahead to physical education classes. But there was a concept in that class that you ended up learning about, and it was this, especially when there was a two-person dance, somebody had to lead and somebody had to follow. If two people led in that dance, it just doesn't work. I remember my final exam. Believe it or not, I had to do a tango dance, and we had to come up with creative moves but the issue there was if I led well in that, particularly that dance, if I led well, the opportunity to do well was there. If I led poorly, it impacted our grade. Now, I don't remember what we actually got on the test. I think I did okay on it. But this idea that we need to tackle today fits this idea of dancing. This is about leadership today and the structures that are needed in a local church. See, the series that we're at is really honing in on what do we need as a local church. But let me give you some reminders here. The first one here in your notes, I said it this way. God has built in structure into the life of every local church for those people who gather as a local body. Structure is necessary. Now, to be honest with you, what I find is that this topic makes people a bit nervous. And I want to put up a verse on the screen that makes people nervous. Hebrews chapter 13, look at what it says. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Those first seven words are hard words for some people. Now, there are some ironies, I have to say, that are floating around when it comes to leadership that I've struggled with over the years. And I want to throw a couple out here. They're not in your notes at all, but I'll put them on the screen. Look at this first one. Many people distrust leadership. But it was distrusting in leadership, okay, that brought about the first sin in creation. We recognize that. Satan coming to Adam and Eve, doubt God's leadership. It was, in, it was That was in the temptation. But realize that it, there, there's good leadership, there's bad leadership, and everything in between when we use that word leadership for us when it comes to local church. But this idea of not trusting leadership, I, I've come across people who really look at it and go, it's a fundamental right of mine to distrust people, leaders. And I, I would say this, that's not God's design. Let me give you another one. Some people naturally don't like rules and, and boundaries. Some people are born that way. The, the twins in my son's family, one of them, she uh, obeys every rule. And the other twin, rules are made to be broken. Okay, So I, I understand that. Yet the ones who don't like boundaries and rules, they want to be the one to define the final rules of the game, even if the final rule is no rules. Are you tracking with that? I don't like rules and structures, so therefore the rule is no rules. See, we grow up not wanting to submit to rules, and I understand that. 
work in a nursery sometime. You figure that out. Submission isn't easy. And understand that the challenges of that and leading and, and, and submission all go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. But let me give you another issue as well. Many people refuse to be in leadership. They go, I don't want to be in the leadership of a local church. But, but let me remind you of this. If you're a parent, I'm assuming you don't want your children to challenge your leadership. You're a leader in the home. Live with it. Do we catch that? Now, understand this. There's personality types, and it plays into leadership well. Because there's some, po- some people, like my granddaughter, Abby, just tell me what to do, and I'm going to obey it. And there's others that, that, that basically view it this way. I want a voice in everything. I want my give input. And there's other people that go, I want the right to decide it. There's those people. And that would be Brooke, my, my granddaughter, as well. But think how leadership even works in parenting. If, you, if every decision was voted on in parenting, dad decides, we're going to go to Fargo for vacation this year. And mom agrees, too. But you have three kids. Let's vote on it. Who's going to win if you'd vote? Let's go to Disney World. All kids want there want to go to Disney World? Raise your hand. Yeah, see, they're going to win. See, we just have to admit, though, that within us struggle, we struggle with boundaries and authority and structures that have to be in place. Let me show you a verse. Is the result of bad leadership. Look at Judges chapter 21, verse 25. This is the last verse in Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that's the summary of leadership in our country, I think, today. But let me give you a result of that, a reminder here as well. When a local church has no working structures, it equals chaos. Structure is important in a local church. So what I need to look at is we need to look at the structures of a church, of a local church, because it functions better. You cannot not have them. And if you're following in the bulletin uh, outline, the first one I said, the structures of a local church. And, And here's really the summary of it. There's biblical evidence of some type of membership and commitment structure. Now I'm going to say this. Lots of people look at this. Tell me, Ken, where there's a verse in the Bible that says I have to become a member. And I go... I won't, you won't find one. But when you dig into Scripture, there's enough evidence that there was a structure or some kind of membership commitment basis of those local churches. Let me put an example, Matthew chapter 18. Look at how it reads. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. They're dealing with discipline here, but understand this. There is a committed group in this passage that says church. 
The church being a committed group of people. It's not a building, a group of people. It's a purposeful group. And here it says, if they don't listen, you take it to this group of people. But if there's no defined group of people, why would you just tell it to anybody? You know, that just doesn't work. See, it implies that even a church is kind of the final sounding board for a decision in one sense in this areas of of discipline and trying to actually reconcile some relationship stuff but why would anybody take it to just a group of people out there and go you guys decide and you go no see church must be a definable group to handle even a weighty matter when it comes to sin let me show you another one first corinthians chapter 5 What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. So here he deals with church discipline again. But in this church group, there's an in-group and there's a group outside. Do we catch that? It has to be definable. If you're removing somebody from inside... It means there is a gathered, committed group of people. And removal would not be possible if there's no committed group of people. It would be just chaos. So who is it, who's accountable to? It, it's a group. And without a group, there will be no accountability here. Now, just a side note on the, these illustrations here. People don't like dealing with church discipline. And maybe you've never heard of that, and that might be new to you. But it's the idea there that God has put in structures within a church and discipline being one of them for a purpose. But my sense here in this area at times with some churches is that when we apply this idea of discipline like 1 Corinthians and Matthew 18, when we do that as a church, if a church has to do that, we look at that church and go, you're not grace, you're not filled with grace, you're graceless. And I go, "Mm, that is not what the scripture teaches at all. Matter of fact, I think when you look at the goal of church discipline, it's always restoration. It's always infers bringing people to a place where they're they're renewed in their relationship with Christ. But understand this, it is not loving. Scripture tells us it's not loving just to throw sin under the carpet, pat it down and say, we're not going to deal with it. That is not grace. But think of that even in the context of a nuclear family. If you're a family here and one child just is all the time causing a disruption by not dealing with it, that is not a loving thing to do. That's actually unloving. It's unwise to not deal with it. So a church at times has to deal with sin. Now, does the leadership become sin police? The answer is absolutely not. No. But the scriptures speak this. In Matthew 18, that's Jesus speaking, okay? And as Paul writes this stuff, clearly there are lines in a local body that somebody steps over and that that somebody has to deal with. Now, what's the nature of the lines? Understand this. In the 1 Corinthians passage, 
You understand what was going on? I'm not going to read it for you. But somebody, publicly speaking, they were, they were in one sense celebrating the idea and they were actually sleeping with their stepmother. That was the issue there. And there was a line that got crossed. And I think you can infer from that that there's a line that says, when somebody begins to celebrate sin and it begins to seep through the body of Christ, at that point, the leadership are called to step in and deal with it at that point. See, sin not being dealt with can seep through a body, just like a family as well. See, God's not indifferent towards sin, folks. He's passionate about it. But it's not for the purpose of, of punishment. It's the goal of restoration, bringing people back into the fellowship of loving them and that they love God and they deal with those things. But let me give you another issue here, number two for your notes. The Bible affirms local church structure of leaders and followers. It's clear in the scriptures there's leadership in a local church that has to exist, and you could names like elders and pastors and even other areas exist within churches, and there's a purpose behind it. But I want to point, put, let me show you Hebrews, I've read Hebrews 13. Let me go to another one, 1 Thessalonians 5. Let me, let me show you this. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. There's leadership. And admonish you, verse 13, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. Let me show you another one, 1 Timothy. Let the elders who rule well, there's leadership, there's structure there, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. The point is here is if there's no structure in a church, who do the leaders lead? Who do the followers follow? See, these passages are referring to, again, a specific group of people, of leaders. But understand there has to be some kind of a commitment to precede submission. How do you submit to leadership if you're not within a group of people? See, it's why, I believe it's why membership or commitment to a local church is absolutely vital and important. It's in the health of a church, it's healthy. Churches have to have those structures. Let me show you another in Romans 13. I know we're going quickly here, but God actually widens structures. Look what he says, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. God has set up institutional structures like governments for our own good. And here's the challenge. If you're anti-boundary, anti-structure, does that really work? You know, if you're working for somebody, go to your boss tomorrow morning and basically say this, I'm not going to live by your rules anymore. I'm going to come in whenever I want. And he will proudly say to you or she will say to you, well, then I will pay you whatever you want. It just doesn't, the dance doesn't work, does it? See, that's the challenge for us. There's this dancing of leaders and there's followers. But let me put 1 Thessalonians 5 back on the screen again. 
Look what it says. We ask you, brothers, to respect those leaders who labor among you, you are over you in the Lord, and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Okay, what is the work that he's talking about here? Leaders have a work. Now, here's where I want to give an application. We want to dig into some of what this work is. But there's a, there's a component here, number three, that is so important for us to realize, to be good leaders and to be good followers. Number three there, leadership in a local church always begins with, it, with a greater responsibility and weight. We just have to admit that in leadership, there is more responsibility and it's weighty. Now, I hope what this does, and I was, I was thinking here last night going through it, I realized what we need is more people praying for the leaders even of our church. So I'd encourage you to do that. But what's the nature of the work? Especially when you think of elder or pastor, and understand I'm an elder, that pastor and elder, those words are really close here. But there's lots of different leadership, even in different areas. And I'll say this, some have more weight than others. And as a pastor, again, there's probably more weight that I have. But even, even when I looked at 1 Timothy 3, I'm not going to put it on the screen. So there's a phrase there that says, when one aspires to be an elder, desires to be an elder, he desires a noble task. But he's desiring something that's more weighty. Now, here's where i got to point something out. And if you're from a Catholic background, i just got to clarify one piece here. What we believe is that there are not two levels of sanctification. At times when people look, when they hear that word priest and, and leadership in a church, they go, you're closer to God. And you go, no, that is not what the Bible teaches I am not closer to God or the elders are not closer to God because of their position. Do you understand that? I just got to put that in there. But I want to put a, another verse on the screen for you. Look at Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Let me give you that next bullet that puts some a burden on leadership. Leadership is to be an example for those whom they lead. Their, that phrase, their way of life, and imitate their faith. Now, perfection? No, please don't expect perfection from your elders and your pastors and your leaders. But it is the reality that he put, there's quality functions that the, the scripture teaches, both Titus and 1 Timothy, that exist. Why? Because they understand that imitation and modeling stuff to people that need to follow is a part of the job. We, we just can't run from that. But the question is, are leaders getting better growing in their modeling of what leadership is to be about. As people look at our lives as leaders, do they see hear more and more about Jesus? Is their life being demonstrated more and more? It's about Christ. 
Is it more about growing spiritually wise and using that wisdom into the life of other people? Is the word of God centered in us and becoming important to us? Well, let me just go sideways for a second here. You know, that's where we're talking about leadership in the church. But here, if you are a parent, and I don't care what age you can be, 70 and have old, you know, younger kids, your married kids, whatever, this also applies if you're a parent, you are a leader. And the question I'd throw at you is, as your children are watching you, are they going to say that they're seeing Jesus in you Are they growing? Can they say that you're growing in that ability to model? Do they want to imitate your life? See, that's a very hard question. If our kids are looking at our lives in the spiritual realm and going, I don't want to imitate mom and dad. That's a problem, we folks. We got a problem there. It applies. Leadership is on all different levels here. Well, let me put up another verse again. Hebrews 13, 17. Look how it goes. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Now, this is a, a challenging verse for leadership. And, and the bullet here, let me put it on the screen. Leadership must shepherd. Shepherd meaning taking care of people, okay? Knowing that God expects more from their leadership. I don't know if you realize this, but as a pastor and any elder that's here in our church, there is a greater scrutiny by God. Do we understand that? But this idea, aspire to be an elder, is a noble task. Understand in that aspire, it doesn't have to do with power, with authority, with needing to feel important, with gaining the applause of people. That's not what it's about. It's the willingness, though, to be held accountable by God of overseeing a group of people, of believers, You see, an elder is actually representing God in their leadership as they look out for people's souls. And understand, this type of leadership is very different than when we look at the world or even the political system out in the world. But there is a call. It is a higher weight. It's one of the reasons, for example, why church discipline falls in the laps of elders. It's weighty. It's a challenge. But understand this as well. This isn't just about gifted people. That's what the world says. It's just about the gifts. No, for leadership within the church, it's about sacrifice. It's about the willingness to create a spot where the hearts of people can be influenced for Jesus. See, in the world, especially politics, you understand in politics, as they view leadership and as when somebody's elected to the government, what they t- you hear this on TV, I'm representing the people. It's a representative form of government, of leading. Understand that concept does not fit into the church. An elder isn't raised up to represent a group of people. He's raised up actually to represent God. Do we catch that? But here's where the call on leader's life. It's not about power. It's not about the love of ruling. 
it's understand how to look at a group of people and look after their interests, shepherding their souls. And what does God say the path to that is? You know what? Jesus actually was pretty pointed. You want to be a leader? You want to be a great leader? You learn to serve. And not just average service. See, average really doesn't work in the context of the church. Serving in character, though, becomes the basis, but it's more than just being good enough. See, leadership is about the willingness to sacrifice in leading. You know, and even in the world, there's a sacrifice to it. We understand that. But our authority as leaders of being that umbrella and shepherd in people's lives is not about control and power. It's about being able to serve and minister and be an example of what God desires and wants in our hearts. So the dance between leaders in a church and followers in a church, uh, folks, it's not easy at times. And I think one of the challenges is, as an American, especially the last number of years, we've almost been trained to be cynical against leadership. Don't trust structures and leaders. Doubt authority. And sometimes you, you can see why, okay? But in churches, the call is to put men in any position, leadership, where they're qualified, where they're ready to lead. And they have the character to represent well in terms of leading people toward Christ. Now, see that onus of, you know, if you're a leader in a church, God demands more of you. But how about the follower? Now, I got to say one thing here, because having said that, I know, I was thinking back last night to my growing up church in Cocado. And as I was thinking of some of the leaders and some of the followers in my home church, I have to say this. There were people in that church who didn't want to give respect to leaders. They didn't want to be led. And I go, I think that's an issue in the church. But see, Scripture is clear. You raise up people in leadership that the character fits, but the followers also have to follow. The dance. And, and leaders, if they want power, if they want to move their own agenda, those things, you go, no, wash those people out. But leaders are judged more strictly. And it's, I, I believe it's why the qualifications are actually written down in 1 Timothy and Titus. You see, they need those to be in place because otherwise they won't gain respect. So there's this narrow path in leadership within the church and, and, and there's this road that at times I've, I've said this to elders and other leaders in churches because on one side we, want, we don't want leaders in place that stir up the pot, create conflict in a church, but on the other side you don't want the other ditch going, we're never going to deal with anything, any conflict or any sin in the church, we're just going to, you know, that's passive leadership and that doesn't work in a church either. So leading, shepherding the church, though, is about impacting people and leaders growing and getting better in their leadership, even in the context of the church and even for myself. How do I need to grow? And I remember, uh, I was thinking about this earlier in the week, 
that uh, when I first got into to, to pastoral stuff and doing some marriage counseling, I had jumped into a couple marriages that were dealing with affairs. And uh, um, then because of that, I needed to do some study. I needed to figure out how to counsel well. And I, was do, I remember reading a book on how to handle it and how to deal with it. And this sinking feeling came over me is that I actually counseled a couple couples in areas where what I was saying was actually the complete opposite of what was best. And I was like, oh, wrong advice. It didn't help in reconciliation. It, it actually kind of made me sick. I remember reading the, that and just saying, I blew it. But see, leading well is like dancing. How do you lead? You're taking... Who, who's, who's, who are you trying to lead? Do you understand them? Do you know them? All of those pieces play into it. But then what about the follower as well, the partner? See, one can't follow well if they lead, but what about do you follow well as well? What does it mean to come under the umbrella of leadership in some form? And you understand that entails a commitment to a group of people. Now, I, I realize this. You know, when people join churches, when they come to check out churches, they're not thinking about, let me see, figure out who are the leaders that I can submit to. That's not the way people look at a church. They come in and they're going, do I like the preaching? Do I like the music? Do, I, do I, the seats feel fine? The kids programs, youth program, all of those structures that are in place, they're looking to go, are they going to benefit me? They're really not looking and going, what's the leadership? Who is in leadership and where they're at? And I realized this over the years that in churches, there are, there's good leadership and poor leadership within churches and people have been burnt by bad leaders. I recognize that. But many years ago, I was reading a book on leadership, leadership development, and it pointed out just the process of leadership development and pointing out that there's good leaders and there's average leaders and there's poor leaders. Okay, we have to just admit that. And the call on a leader's life is to keep moving in a better direction, growing in that area. So if you're average leader, you work to become a good leader. I think that's pretty obvious. But let me push it the other direction. Because I think something else is true. There are good followers in a church. There are average followers in a church. And there's poor followers in a church. That's true as well. See, I can create a dance. I can do the dance. I can try to lead the dance. But what if they don't want to follow? So the, the question, you know, throughout to all of us here is, what kind of a follower are you in this thing called the local church? And, and I recognize that we struggle even following at times. Even leaders struggle with following at times. You understand in our structure here is that really in one sense, I'm accountable to the elder board. That as a group, we're having to figure out even what leadership, and at times I have to submit to them even when I may 
not always agree. Matter of fact, there was a lesson, that lesson I had to learn a long time ago uh, out of a book called The Making of the Leader. I want to put a quote up here. It's directed at leadership, but it actually applies even wider. Look at how it goes. Leaders who have trouble submitting to authority will usually have trouble exercising spiritual authority. Interesting statement. This challenge occurs throughout their ministry, becoming more subtle as leaders mature. Then he went on to say this, anyone can submit when decisions appear right. It's when decisions seem wrong or are wrong that submission is difficult. Submission is tested most when there are differences of opinion. See, that applies to a leader in a church. It applies to a follower in a church. And in varying circumstances, even beyond the church walls, even in your workplace. See, I think Clinton is spot on. See, following and leading, there's this dance of when do we lead, when do we follow, how do we figure that all out? And even as leaders, there's time where God calls us to submit to him in a way that we don't like. But submitting doesn't end because one becomes a leader. See, that, at that point, the call in our lives, he's going, Ken, it's about humility. It's about coming under somebody's authority. See, that's even true for me. But we have to admit, if we mess up in leading, it's hard for people to follow. If followers don't want to follow, it's hard for leaders to lead. That is also true. That's the dance. But what do leaders do? I just want to end here with just a couple statements of what is, what's leadership about, even in the context of us. When you think of the elder board here and some of the other leadership within the church here. And again, I'm not going to be all inclusive, but let me just quickly run through these for your notes. The first one, it's about care. Now, I'm not going to say a lot about this, but understand this. When people look at a pastor, look at the role of pastor, and they go, you got to care for me. Can I point out a tension that I have uh, as a leader in the church here, and the elders actually have? If you go back to the book of Acts and you watch the church explode with all of these numbers, people coming to Christ, putting their faith, is that all of a sudden there was a shift that began to take place in that early church in that they realized that the, that the leaders of that church were spending all their time caring for people, taking care of the poor, caring for the widows, and all of those concerns, those very tangible concerns. And what did they do? They raised up leaders, deacons, that would be more pointed in leading in a different area. So it's one of the challenges as we grow that care looks different as the church begins to grow. But let me give you another, another word there as well. It's the word protection. And one of the pieces that the elders and myself have a responsibility for is protect so that we have good doctrine that is biblical. You know, I have actually had to ask people to stop using curriculum because it was so off that it was hurting their relationship with Christ. It just was not accurate in terms of who God was in that sense. So elders, in one sense, have to know the word, and it's a point where you're going, this is, we want to make the word centered, and we protect people from good, accurate, word-centered theology. But there's also the protection for people. 
You know, we looked at church discipline. That would fit under that category. But the other scripture talks about dissension, those that stir up within a church. See, history, the scriptures record that. Deal with it. That's what the leaders have to deal with it. Sometimes it's even, even in marriages. You know, I've experienced people coming into the church. My first being on an elder board, not on staff, was out in Vancouver. We had a prophet come into the church, a self-proclaimed prophet, and he began to stir up stuff and teach stuff and wanting to get groups of people together. And as an elder board, we finally said, this is enough is enough. And we had to go to him and say, no, you're going to lead. We had to, he was one sense kind of a false prophet, a, a wolf there that was coming in as a sheep. And we say, no, a singles group down at the previous church. I understand that there was one time a man came in, and he's kind of a creepy guy, I'll be honest with you, that women struggled with the guy. And everybody understood after a while as he was there just to kind of go after women. And under the umbrella of the leadership of the elder board and, and for myself, a couple of the men in that group, we had to go to that guy and go, no stop it or leave he ended up we actually ended up asking him to leave the group but that's a protection thing of even people in that sense but let me give you another one equipping this is about making disciples to equip people to do the work of the ministry it's both from an example standpoint equipping people to be the ministers it's not that minister really is wrong when they, when they refer to me as a minister. I'm more supposed to be an equipper of ministry, of ministers, than just doing it. But even for elders, it's the idea there that are, are they raising up a new generation of, of leaders? Elders get old, don't have the energy. Are we going to raise up new young men? And in, for elders in other areas and women in the other areas of the church and that we're providing leadership in the context of the church. That's leadership, that's equipping, helping people learn to make disciples and model that. And the last one, leadership is also about vision. See, what is God calling us to do to be a unique footprint in the life of a, of a community? See, in one sense, this one involves at times change, though. Understand this, if we're doing a square dance and we've been doing a square dance for about 30 years and no one wants to square dance anymore in the community, an elder needs to do this. We've got to find a new dance that people are, it's going to work in such a way. Do we change the word of God? No. There's a constant there. But the methods of how you do ministry have to change. And you understand the elders are a part of that. And the leadership of the church are a part of changing at times so that we're more effective in the kingdom of God. But folks, those are the structures. You have to have a structure on the local church level in order to function and for not to be chaos. And so we have leaders and you have followers. And that's the dance. Leaders that we want to lead well, and we want to grow in that leadership. But we want followers to follow well and that they would grow in that followership. That's what the local church has to do in order to be effective. And where people can look in on that relationship and go, I want to be a part of that. I'm willing to be under somebody's authority. Why? Because I know that I'm going to move toward Jesus at that point.
See, that's really the issue. We want people knowing God, loving God with all their heart, soul, and mind. And at times it creates, we have to have the structures to set up the stuff to create the environment in a group of people. We have to do that. Dance well this week. Stand and pray.